Hello and welcome to Behind the Microphone, a podcast which explores the lives and careers of some of the UK's most talented and successful sports broadcasters. My name is Hamish Percy, I'm currently finishing off a Masters in Sports Journalism and I'm hoping to move into sports broadcasting. A little bit about me, I love all things to do with sport and fitness, but I'm mainly passionate about my rugby union and football. As an aspiring sports broadcaster, I've always been fascinated with the job, what it takes to become a successful sports broadcaster, how you get your break, how you work your way to the top, and what it takes to be the very best. Hopefully, with each episode of this podcast, these questions will be answered. Apologies if the audio isn't superb, as these podcasts have been filmed over Zoom during the coronavirus pandemic. I'm delighted to say that my first guest is Sky Sports Principal Rugby Union commentator, Miles Harrison. And if you don't recognise the name, this might jog your memory. This is O'Driscoll! It's gone through! Oh, he's going! O'Driscoll for the post! Brian O'Driscoll! Oh, you beauty! That is incredible! North goes on the outside! North for the corner! He's been unleashed! Miles' career in broadcasting began as a six-former at BBC Nottingham, before he went on to work at BBC York, BBC Leeds and BBC Radio Sport, before Sky Sports came calling in 1994 and invited Miles to be their lead rugby union commentator. He has been there ever since and has had an incredibly successful 26 years with Sky, covering six British and Irish Lions tours, 17 European Rugby Champions Cup finals and many more huge internationals and club fixtures. During our chat, Miles even informed me he has spent nearly a month of his life commentating on around 30 England versus Australia matches. As well as this, he is an incredibly modest and generous man and has taken time out on numerous occasions to chat with myself and other future broadcasters and share his wisdom and advice on the trade. Miles and I chatted about his career to date, discussing his time with the BBC, his move to Sky and just how much preparation goes into each game. I hope you enjoy. So, Miles, was becoming a rugby commentator always the plan? Becoming a rugby commentator? Well, becoming a, I, I, well, first of all, sports broadcaster. That's what I wanted to be. Uh, commentator or presenter, that was certainly in the balance uh, in terms of the ultimate ambition. I, I, I like the idea of both. Uh, this I'm going back a long time now to when I was very young, obviously. Uh, rugby was certainly in the mix because I love my rugby from almost the day I was born, I suppose. It was in the blood. Uh, my dad loved his rugby. Uh, so that always helps when you know, you've got a parent who is particularly into a sport. But, you know, football, cricket, they were my other great loves and still are. You know, the, the three sports run hand in hand or side by side, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and the other one that I got into as a child and a sport in a big time way was tennis. I really loved the the Grand Slams. I love Wimbledon more and more, I think, with every passing year as of childhood into adulthood. So when the, there became a chance to work in tennis as a broadcaster, I seized that too. So yeah, I always go back to those four. Uh, it just happened that rugby came to the top of the pile, partly because I was very happy for it to do so. Uh, but again, it's one of those career moments where what do the uh, politicians say these days? Forks in the road. Well, I could have gone in different directions and it turned out to be rugby. And I was so pleased that I did because I've just spent uh, 25 years or so immersed in the sport and loving every minute of it. Okay. And I wanted to move on to the start of your commentary career. So you began at BBC York and BBC Leeds. How was that experience for you? Was it a real time of learning the trade? 
very much so. Although if you're going to say when you started, uh, it came earlier than that in as much that when I was at school, I used to help out my local radio station. Radio Trent it was in Nottingham in those days, but also I got a chance to do a bit of freelancing with BBC Nottingham during university times. So okay. they were the two radio stations that I, I really began at. And, and, you know, even though you're making the tea or the coffee in those early days, but you're doing other things, you're learning how people operate, how they work, just observing, working alongside them or just helping out anything you can do. So I see that very much as the starting point, I've got to be honest, because there were some really welcoming people and very encouraging people uh, who would, I suppose, see my enthusiasm, but it was no more than that. I don't think they were seeing any talent at that stage. They just saw a a young lad who really wanted to uh, get involved, be in sport uh, and would do anything really to try and... uh, and further his aim in, in doing that within that work environment, just, just wanted to help out in any, anything I could do. So if we're sending out a little message to younger people out there who, who might be interested, then show that enthusiasm early on, because I think that, that really helps. It helps you get that first rung of the ladder, which for me was a postgraduate course. After I left York University, I went to uh, City University to do a radio journalism course. And, and that was really important for me because that was bridging those or that gap between student days and uh, working days. Uh, And then, yeah, you're right. I I got a job right at the end of the course. In fact, I started the job before the course had concluded. Uh, So I went away and uh, and did that and somehow tried to sort of finish in London alongside being in York, working as a sports reporter at BBC York. And I stayed there for three fantastic months that summer where you were doing things that were thrown at you that you couldn't quite believe a that you were doing but b how on earth you were doing them if you see what i mean because it's your mm. first job and you just you know, flying by the seat of your pants to be honest and just getting by but but having a great great time and then the manager of radio york in those days a guy called john jefferson he moved over to be manager of bbc leeds uh, and he inevitably i suppose took a few people with him if that's the right way of putting it uh, people he could uh, he'd seen that he wanted to develop and i think i was probably one of those but also some more seasoned broadcasters uh, he took over to be part of the setup at bbc leeds and then i spent a good two or three years there really really progressing in a very very important sports patch locally it was a perfect place to find yourself. It really was because it had the mix. It had the perfect mix of what I wanted, which was football, rugby, cricket, both codes of rugby, by the way. Uh, and um, even though tennis wasn't big in terms of grand slams in, in West Yorkshire at the time, it, it was just a great place to be, to learn your trade in, in, in those three key sports as far as I saw it. Okay, and when you were covering rugby, cricket and football, did you find it easier to commentate on one of them, say rugby over cricket or cricket over football or did you just love all of them and find that commentating on the different sports was the same well not the same I did love all of them and that really helps I think that helps any commentator or or sports broadcaster to have that deep-seated love for a sport I think that's absolutely vital because when you're live and you're in that sort of exposed live broadcasting position uh, 
pretty disarmed. Whatever you say, we're just kind of spurting out of the mouth. You don't get much time to think about it sometimes. You need to show to your audience that you absolutely love what you do and you love the sport that they love. So, so yeah, that, that, that was all there. But trying to sort of uh, make that balance uh, and make that adjustment was quite difficult in those days, I suppose. But you don't really think about it too much. You're just enjoying it. Uh, to a degree that you can't, as I say, you can't quite believe you're doing it. Uh, therefore, anything the bosses throw at you, say, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. I'll, I'll, of course, I'll, I'll do cricket one day, football the next, rugby the next, and tennis the following week. And and that sort of is the way it is. It, it, it's certainly in uh, local broadcasting, but also in radio broadcasting. They want people who can do various things. So uh, I spent my time in, in local, uh, and then got the opportunity to go down to work in the sports room with the BBC on the radio and it continued there and I was asked to be a commentator on football and on rugby uh, got that dream of doing the tennis as well at that point and I continued cricket too at that point so you go into television you get a little bit more specialized I think people understand that uh, people sort of want that in a way uh, but uh, in those early radio days yeah you were doing you were flitting from one thing to another. And that was a challenge in terms of preparation, but uh, it was also just great to be able to do it. So you, you just did it. And how did you find kind of um, learning on the, on, on the job? How did you kind of better yourself when you were commentating on the radio in BBC Leeds? Were you listening to yourself back or were you getting constructive criticism from your bosses? How did you kind of improve? Yes, I did get a lot of uh, constructive criticism in those days, and I was so appreciative of that. I, I was blessed locally, first of all, to be managed in, in a sports editor sense uh, by a couple of guys. Some people listening to this may uh, have heard of the, in the lo certainly in those localities, would have heard of these, uh, of these two individuals. A guy called Andy Knowles, who was the sports producer at BBC Nottingham many, many years ago. Uh, and a guy called Dave Callahan, who was in charge of the sports room uh, at Leeds while I was there. Uh, and the reason why I mentioned these two guys is partly because it's just lovely to mention the names and, and get those names out there. Uh, Dave, sadly, no longer with us. But uh, what those two did for me, you just couldn't, you couldn't bottle the importance of it. it it's just like the, it, it was like the genie in the bottle for me that came bursting out because uh, they were prepared to give so much of their time in a positive and critical way. They listened to what you did, how you did it, be it presenting, reporting, or commentating. They would come back to you with suggestions. As I say, in that lovely guiding hand way that, that people who were very comfortable working in their patch, had ambitions of their own, but they, I think the summit of their ambitions was within that local environment. So if anybody came along who was young and promising and perhaps a little bit thrusting too and wanted to get on and go national, they, they didn't feel remotely threatened, or at least they didn't give that impression. They were, they were just two almost like broadcasting dads, really, at that stage of my career. Uh, and I think that is really important. And uh, it's something that, you know, I've reached a certain age now where if people come along and ask me for help, I remember the help that I was given at that time and how important that is when shaping not just the broadcaster, but the individual. So more 
specifically in terms of what they looked at, um, the techniques of broadcasting, and I suppose it was, for me, it was becoming more and more commentary. That's what I was drawn to, and that's what I, I like most of all, having done different aspects of the job, because I think in commentary, you're in a connection with the game that you just don't get in any other walk of uh, sports broadcasting. You are, you are so involved in the match. And for someone who deep down really just wanted to play the game and never had the talent to do so, be it those sports that I've mentioned, anyone would have done for me. I'd have happily been professional. Uh, it wasn't professional in those times, rugby, but it turned professional mid-90s. But uh, you know, rugby, football, cricket, I'd have happily pulled on the shirt in any of those. That was the ultimate dream. But the next best thing for me was to have that connection with the game with, with being a broadcaster or commentator. So uh, they would work very hard on those, those techniques and how you analyze them and review it with you. And I, that's really important. It's still important now, by the way. I, I think the moment you lose that ability to be, and I think it's probably these days more self-critical than it is coming from uh, outside, because again, you get a level of experience or uh, you build up over time that, uh, that confidence in what you do. But within that confidence must also be an analytical streak. I think any sports person will tell you that. Uh, and I think broadcasters are very similar in that respect to the people who play the sports. They should always look at themselves long and hard to see if they can get better at what they do. Okay, and then moving forward in your career, in 1994, I think it was, if I've done my research correctly, Sky came calling, wanting you to be their lead rugby union commentator. Was that an easy decision relatively early on in your career to specialise in just one sport? No, it wasn't. And that's no comment on Sky because I was very excited by the offer. And as it's turned out, I could not have been in a better place for the last 25 years. And I could not have worked for a, a better employer. So, uh, as I say, it's not uh, a comment on Sky. It's just that at that point within my own career, I had so much still to do at, at the BBC and on the radio too. There are events that I still wanted to cover. Um, 1994 itself was the year of a football World Cup and I was a football commentator then. Uh, 1995 would be a very famous Rugby World Cup, which I realised that if I went to Sky that I would not be covering uh, as I would have done had I stayed at the BBC. Uh, there were talks at that point with BBC bosses about how they might develop me as a cricket commentator. And since I was, well, I'm pointing at the floor at a very low level, you can't quite see it on the screen there. But yeah, since I was that high, way down, if I had one ambition, if you to pin me down what you really, really want to do with your broadcasting life, you know, it would have been as a kid, I would have said, oh, I'd love to commentate on cricket on the radio to be on Test Match Special. So that might have been something that could have been a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow had I stayed uh, at the BBC. So I was aware of all of that. Uh, and when I got the call from Sky, I was actually commentating on the French Open tennis. And I, I tell you, that is one great event, the French Open tennis. It, it's just so brilliantly put on. Uh, I mean, the tennis itself, it, it's just fantastic. It's so different with it being on the clay. But the chicness of the event where it is in Paris, uh, uh, they're long days, but they're great, great days at that event. Uh, and you just think, 
do I want to leave this so soon when I've not been here very long out of a local radio? I had a long time still to go in my career. It's a long old game, your career. And I'm thinking, do I really want to throw this all away now? But you know, Sky were very patient. Uh, they'd heard me do a rugby game. Uh, it was Calcutta Cup that year that the Sky boss then, Vic Wakeling, said he'd heard when he was in the car. And he said that as he drove, he thought, when we get the rugby, that's the guy I want to do the rugby. So that's a very nice thing to hear because you know that they really, really want you. But um, I did say to Vic, I'm going to need some time to think about this. And then a few weeks passed and he said, I'm going to need an answer, to be fair. And he concentrated my mind in a very, uh, very strong and good managerial way. He said, the offer's still there, but it won't stay on the table forever. Uh, and quite, he said, I'll be frank with you. If you say no to me now, it's not going to be very likely while I'm in charge that I'll come back to you because I'll be thinking of other people. For a start, somebody else will be doing your job that I would have given to, some, to you. But also, uh, naturally, my thought process will move away from someone who had a chance to join the company but decided, all things considered, not to. And that really concentrated the mind. I thought, how will I feel if somebody else is commentating on the live club rugby as it was to be on Sky at that point. I just couldn't bear the thought. It was such an opportunity to move into television. Uh, okay, at a young age, many ways before my time in that respect, but I decided to give it a go and it was the right call. Definitely the right call for me. Whether it was for the viewers, I don't know, that's for them to decide. <laughs> well, I can certainly speak personally saying growing up it's been absolutely brilliant so <laughs> you said the nicest things how did you find then the transition from only commentating for radio to suddenly commentating for television oh that's a really good question because that is a big leap and i thought it would be more of a leap to specialize in one sport and that's what sky were asking me to do actually they they got me to do some tennis and uh there was a little bit of football football early on they were going to get me involved in, but it didn't quite happen because the rugby just got bigger and bigger but uh, as I say I thought that was going to be the thing and it was a bit of a thing to deal with because I did like that sort of flitting around but I also enjoyed immersing myself in this game and becoming being given the time to become an expert in it but what I hadn't bargained for I've been warned about it but I, what I hadn't really taken into account was the sheer uh, enormity of the leap when it comes to technique of broadcasting from radio to TV. And there's no doubt, although I, you know, I'm not sad enough now to, to listen to all those, those commentaries all those years ago, but at the time when I reviewed them, uh, I was watching these games that I commentated now on the television of the sky with a pad of paper alongside going, don't say that, don't say that. Why did you say this? But it still comes out in those early commentaries because that's what you've been doing that's how you've been trained so that's what I really grappled with and I, again I'm going to use this word grateful again again because not only in my local radio and I could have mentioned some very important figures for me in my national radio career with with uh, BBC radio who were massive influence on, on me and, and great managers and, and great givers of their time but in the early days as we're now moving on to talk about TV I'm so grateful to those involved in positions of power at Sky who let me grow. Uh, I mean, I won't go as far as let me make mistakes. I don't think they'd have tolerated that. Uh, 
when it comes to factual errors or just not looking like or sounding like I could do the job, hopefully I was achieving that bit for them. But I think they were aware that they had a young broadcaster that they were prepared to invest in uh, time and energy and all of those things. And they, they just let me grow. They let me grow in the role. And uh, looking back, that time on Sky when we had just live club rug rugby before we started getting any, into any international rugby, which started uh, in 1997 in live terms with the British and Irish Lions Tour to South Africa, I think that 94 to 97 period to adjust from radio to TV was very important. Well, it was for me, and I'm sure it exists for some broadcasters today. I just hope they get the time that I had. I fear that that's not the case these days because everybody wants an immediate result. But uh, some brilliant broadcasters around now who are, who are very uh, quick on their feet uh, okay. with their broadcasting, so I'm sure they're doing it. But uh, me personally, I needed that time. Okay, and after all of your years of commentating on not just rugby, on other sports, this might be a very broad question to ask, but do you know now what makes a brilliant commentator or a brilliant rugby commentator? It is a very broad question. It's a very, very fair question, Hamish, to be honest. Uh, can I boil it down into an answer that's less than an hour? I don't know. Um, what do you think the most important thing is? Well, let's just fire a few things off. I'm not going to say whether they're the most important, but they've got to be in the mix. Let's, First of all, voice. I think voice has to be uh, key. It has to be strong and clear. And I always argue listenable to and uh, very much so in a television sense, because that television can be in your living room, can be in the kitchen, but it's certainly within the house. And that is an environment in which you're being allowed into to be a member of that household verbally for a certain period of time and I think therefore it's got to feel like a voice that you want to have in the house and not one that irritates or grates so uh, so a listenable but a clear uh, strong voice um, I think accuracy is key because certainly from my point of view when I watch uh, sport on the television I want to be able to trust the commentator that he knows or she knows who they are talking about uh, in a detailed way. And the very basic form there is to know exactly what they look like, how to say the name, all of those things. Uh, and you can't work hard enough on those issues. That's the preparation, that's getting ready to make sure that when you go to, a, go to air, and here's another aspect of being a good commentator, that you make it sound or look easy. And if you can do that, if you can just be the swan that floats along the surface while you're ferociously flapping away underneath the water with all of those, um, I hesitate to use the word pressures because it is only sports broadcasting, but you know what I mean, all of those mm. uh, external issues that are, are, are sort of being uh, heading towards you during a broadcast, the fact that you've got to tell the story, the fact that it's totally unscripted, uh, it's all happening out there in front of you and you've got to pick out the bits that pull it all together. You've got to be aware to get the best out of or work alongside symbiotically with your co-commentator. You've got to be listening to the director, the producer. Uh, so many other people are reliant on your little bit within this giant machine. 
so as we're all reliant on each other and that's another beauty of television by the way so many people involved and you know take one little cog out of the machine and it can just grind to a halt so everybody's important as each other which is a really satisfying thing and certainly if you get the whole team ethos from sport it's one of the reasons why i've really enjoyed working in television because uh, it feels like you're in a team every time you turn up turn up at an outside broadcast and uh, okay there are there are sort of dominant characters within that within that team, and there's a captain of the team, like the executive producer, or uh, in visual terms, the director. But uh, you do work as a team, uh, and to understand that, and to be able to cope with all those external issues and deliver what you need to do, which is a calm, assured, okay, sometimes excitable, but rightly excitable commentary. That is the challenge, and it's to have that mindset to be able to do that. Uh, and uh, if you find you can do it, I would argue there's nothing better in broadcasting. Okay, I'm a sports nut, so I'm going to argue for sport, but there's nothing better for me in broadcasting. There's not a program I watch on the TV um, that I'd rather be involved in than a sports outside broadcast as the commentator. It's always been, well, it, it was up there anyway, but now it's, uh, it, it's just a great way to have made a living. It well, that's a brilliant answer. And I, I think at one point you touched on your preparation. Um, so could you talk me through your preparation process of the week leading up to, say, a three o'clock kickoff on a Saturday? Another joy of the job, Hamish, is there's no typical week uh, and you're out and about. Uh, you know, obviously none of us are at the moment uh, in the situation that we find ourselves in. But when we get back to the world being uh, uh, more normal than it is now you know you are sort of out and about and on the road and traveling and experiencing different things so uh, to say when people say what do you do your typical week I say well there is no typical week but there are aspects of the week that you always have to sort of hit in terms of the preparation so uh, the key things to get ready are if you need to see a side you haven't seen say over the last uh, two or three matches that you've done you need to be going to see them train with the help uh, and I'm, I'm always amazed and, and uh, again grateful for those within sport who allow broadcasters just to stand pitch side and just do what they need to do to learn what people look like or refresh their memories You've got to remember these games are coming into your head they're just falling out your head uh, it's a little bit like exams uh, you can do your revision, but the day after your exam, you think, how on earth did I re remember that or do that? Because you moved on to another exam because you've got to think about the next one. And that, that's, that's uh, life of a commentator, really. So even though you're building up this base knowledge all the time, you do need to be absolutely on point for those two teams that weekend. And at the start of the season, I make sure I go around and see everybody. Time doesn't allow to see... Um, everybody every week throughout the season you'll understand that but uh you should always be looking to see one if not both sides if you can to make that uh personal connection uh pitch side not just to see them but also to talk to the coach uh get into their mind about where their team is at and how you can convey uh little nuggets of information that the audience might uh, like to pick up on then You've got to add to that all the catching up with watching of games. 
and I'm a bit of an obsessive on that, but I, that to me has become the biggest change in my job since I started all those years ago. And you were right when you quoted 1994, that's another era, isn't it? Maybe two <laughs> eras uh, when I started in television. But uh, then there was just on Sky, the one, possibly two live club games a week. And that was it. And the audience didn't know any more, didn't know any better because of that. And where did you get access to all the other games? You got a bit of highlights during the week on magazine shows. But there was nothing like there is now, uh, where there's live games constantly all around the world, whatever the sport, it seems all day, every day. And that takes a lot of keeping up to date with. And so it should. It's my job. I'm paid to know about these things and be across these things. And I respect my audience so much because I think it's such a sophisticated audience now. And that's brilliant, by the way, because that drives people like me to think, okay, well, at very least, I've got to try and know somewhere near what my audience knows about their team. And it's respecting the team and it's respecting the individuals that are involved in that team. And that takes an awful lot of time. I can watch uh, you think about the competitions in rugby, domestic competitions for England, for the Celtic nations, uh, then there's super rugby from around the world, there's international rugby to keep across. And I want to see it. And I'm not saying I watch all matches every 80 minutes, but most games I'll watch at times six in a league and then I'll focus on the bits that I really want to note and make a point of noting or might be relevant to what's coming up in my diary. So those teams, you're always thinking about three or four weeks ahead. Who am I going to be talking about? Who am I going to be going to see train? So I don't sound stupid when I talk to the coach about this and that, because they'll know exactly what's happened in their world. And they'll expect me to have some knowledge of that. So if you're watching, I think I could watch as when the season kicks off end of August through until uh, end of June, as the season is at the moment, and I'm about to change. I'm doing 20, 25 games a week, really, from around the world watching. Uh, and I will dedicate a whole day to that each week, but also that will spin into other days. So by the time you've traveled to see people train, you've hit the phones, there's admin that comes with every job that you do, uh, you know, sorting the travel out, talking to people who want to know when, when you want to be here for this and that and what OB, uh, and involved in other things at work. You know, that, that absolutely just covers the whole of the week. Um, and you're hitting the phones also to stay on top of, uh, stories and information to talk to people uh, and um, yeah there's all the written stuff to keep across the social media it's relentless these days an awful lot and it's I hope by the end of that answer you're thinking he doesn't sound like he wants to do it I do it, it's exciting and it's great and it's a challenge but it, it is it's a lot it's a lot to keep across but then I'll come back to that uh, point I made earlier so it should be I'm paid to be a rugby commentator get on with it mate <laughs> there'd be plenty of people who would love to do the job so uh but I, when people say what do you do for the rest of the week outside the game itself to make it look easy when you're on air you know I could I could go on and I probably have in that answer I could go on ad infinitum about you know what you need to do to get to that point okay and this might be the most difficult question because I know how modest you are but I think I can say it so why is it that you think over your career you have been so successful with what you've done I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know I don't know really <laughs> some reason somebody just keeps uh, 
allows me to do games of rugby on the telly. Uh, and um, it's, just, it's just gone on ridiculous. I've, I've lived the dream. So uh, I don't know. I don't know why, why I've been, have I been so successful? I've been so lucky. I'm happy to That's say that. That's the modest I've, answer. I thought well, I... it is the modest answer, but it's the way I feel. I've been so blessed to do this job, so lucky to be in this position. And we've been doing a little series on Sky over the last uh, few weeks, uh, myself and James Gemmell, called Rugby Retro, mm. where you know, I was asked to pick out my internationally my, my you know, top 10 games that I've covered on Sky. And I wrote them down. And it, actually, when you're talking top 10, that's act, sometimes that's the easiest to do, isn't it? The top 10 normally, by their very nature, yeah. stand out. But I could have gone on. I could have had a list of 100. <laughs> Or 200. And somebody asked me, how many games have you done? How many England games have you called? Uh, and don't ask me now to quote it. I wrote, I, I, because I had to do it for an article. I wrote it down. I've got no idea. It's gone out of my head. It's just a ridiculous number. It must be 200, 300, though. No? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're in that region. We're in that region. And you chuck in the Lions games. I think the thing that made me smile was when I was adding it up, England, Australia, Cook Cup matches. I think I'm in my 30s now for the amount of England, Australia games. It's <laughs> that's a, that's a month of my life I've spent <laughs> commentating on England versus Australia. Rugby. So, yeah, it's just been an amazing career and journey to have. And uh, whether I've been successful, I suppose successful is what's the, what's the test? You keep doing it, but uh, I'll let others decide what, what, what that is and I'll just say I've been so lucky so lucky well that's it for episode one of Behind the Microphone with Sky Sports lead rugby union commentator Miles Harrison it was fantastic to speak to Miles again he's a superb commentator and a great man too please make sure to subscribe leave a rating and a review as there'll be plenty more episodes coming soon See you later.